I'm excited to talk about the book of Acts this morning. We're, considering a, a, we're continuing a series through the Bible, book by book, all the way through, to try to get that big picture of what God's Word is about. And, and so we come to the book of Acts. And uh, you can tell I was really excited to get started this morning. I mean, I jumped up right there before, before Jim's special. I, sorry about that, Jim, but... Uh, but I, we, we, I wanted him to sing that song. I'd, I'd, I'd requested it because that whole idea of I can only imagine, the book of Acts calls us to that. The book of Acts calls us to imagine something that's beyond our present reality. The book of Acts is all about that. The book of Acts is, is about seeing something further, seeing something bigger, seeing something greater than the normal which we have experienced. It pr- God presses his church by his spirit into that. That's what I want to happen this morning. I want the spirit by his word to, to perhaps stretch us a little, to, to press us a little, to, to imagine for ourselves that things could in fact be different than they are. And that's important because as I'll, as I'll describe in a little bit, the the present world in which we live actually wants to stifle that imagining, if I can keep using that word. It doesn't want you to think about an alternative reality that's different from the norms of the culture and the society. They would much rather have you conformed into the mold of this world, as Romans 12 says, rather than being transformed and living for something newer and bigger and greater. I want God to stretch us this morning. I want God to, to um, show us what something more could look like. So would you pray with me as we begin and turn our attention to the book of Acts this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have shown yourself to us. You've shown something of your heart to us, even in this press to tell the story of Jesus far and wide. Lord, would you also, Lord, um, encourage us Father, this morning. Strengthen us. Give us courage this morning to, to see beyond what is our own experience. Lord, to, to stretch beyond what we see around us and what we're told is meaningful and valuable. Lord, would you, would you give us the, the, uh, the insight and also the courage to take one step beyond what seems safe or normal into some of what you would have for us as a church and as your own children. Lord, open your word to us this morning, Lord, and show us from here yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Acts is a book of transition. It's a book of transition because the New Testament can be a confusing place. And imagine you went to sleep in Jerusalem and you woke up in Rome. How did you get there? Well, if you're if you if you were reading through the New Testament and you read the Gospel of Matthew, you read Mark, you read Luke, you read John, all of them are you're in Jerusalem, you're in Galilee, a little bit around the surrounding countryside, but you don't go very far from there. And then all of a sudden, if you continue in your New Testament, you skip over the book of Acts and you wind up in the book of what? The book of Romans. Now, how did we get from Jerusalem to Rome? That's the story of the book of Acts. One of the purposes of Acts is to show these transitions. There are some big transitions that are happening. There's some new ground being opened, and Acts gives us a condensed and purposeful history. Now, Acts is not meant to be a a, um, complete history of the early church. 
It's not meant to tell us just some things about what the early church was like. There's very little about what the early church was like, actually, in the book of Acts. There's a few glimpses here and there, but that's not the overall purpose of the book. It is a book of transitions. It shows us a transition from Jerusalem to Rome. It shows us a transition from Peter, who has a lead role among the apostles in all of the Gospels, right? And uh, all of a sudden, this guy named Paul comes on the scene. And if you had, didn't have the book of Acts, you open the book of Romans, and it's Paul, an apostle, writing to these people in Rome. Well, we don't know who Paul is, and we don't know why he's writing to Rome. You, you open the next book, 1 Corinthians. That's Paul, the apostle, whoever he is, to the church at Corinth. And you keep going through your New Testament, and you have all of this Paul, whoever he is. The book of Acts introduces it. it. It shows us also for the church at large there's a transition from Peter to Paul. It's interesting, the comparisons of Peter to Paul. Let me run through them really quick. Don't feel like you have to write this down. It's just a little intriguing. Uh, both of them are uniquely called to proclaim the gospel. As you read through Acts, you can, you can notice these things. Both of them, interestingly enough, they're confronted by a magician who's, who's an obstacle to the gospel that they confront, uh, in each, each one's first major sermon, this is their outline. From Israel's history to Jesus as the risen son of David, whom the leaders of Israel had rejected, but God has raised from the dead and must be believed on. That's, that's each one's outline in the first major sermon. Acts 2, Acts 13. Both of them are preaching the risen Savior, rejected by the Jewish leaders. Both heal a man who is, who were told very early in their ministry, it's very prominent, they heal a man who's crippled, who's lame from birth. Peter and John on the way to the temple, Paul in Acts chapter 14. Um, both of them are miraculously released from prison. Peter in Acts chapter 12, remember he knocks on the door and, they, and, and they're too excited, they can't believe that it's him. Paul and Silas in the jail there in Philippi where the earth shook and all the doors were opened. And then, then the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the gospel in a nutshell. Miraculous releases from prison. Both of them are chosen to take the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles far and wide around the world. Uh, first, Peter's given that charge, but Paul is also given the same charge. Uh, the book of Acts is a transition then from Peter to Paul. It introduces us to Paul as Paul's another like Peter. Paul also is an apostle in the fullest sense of the word. Uh, it gives us a transition from, from, from Jew to Greek, from Israel to this new thing called the church, this calling out of a people from every nation. It's a, it's a transition from law to grace, and that, that's captured especially in Acts chapter 15, where the whole identity of the church, this new thing called the church and the newness of it, the differences from a people under the law of Moses. So there's a transition going on. We're, we're transitioning from kings to a kingdom. There are many kings in the world, and those kings, those kings and rulers are introduced to us, and they have certain power of authority, but there is a higher authority. There is one, ultimately, that we're not only responsible to, but we can trust in and we can follow instead. Hold on to that follow instead. There's the Sanhedrin, there's Herod, there's the magistrates at Philippi, there's the, there's the tribune in Jerusalem, there's Festus and Felix and Agrippa, all of these who have some authority, but all of these find out that their authority has its limits. And as the apostles will say, we must obey God rather than men. 
and all of them are puzzled and find their authority cut short. Is a transition from darkness to light. The darkness of lost humanity into the light of the gospel. Like I said, far and wide toward the ends of the earth. The ends of the, of the Roman Empire, certainly, that the book closes. The book starts in Jerusalem and it closes in Rome the center of the world empire at that time, but also just about as far west as most people had heard of. It doesn't cover all of the expansion of the church. It's not meant to. It doesn't talk about India. It doesn't talk much about northern Africa. Other places the gospel was going at the same time, but emphasizes those transitions. Now, when you think about the book of Acts, the other thing you think about is there is an emphasis on the spirit of the living God. There is a lot of the Holy Spirit going on in this book, isn't there? We are told right out of the gate that when it comes to the church and when it comes to the advance of the gospel, that it's not going to be by the oratorical skill, by the great speech-making of the, of the apostles or the disciples. It's not going to be because of the church's great organization. It's not going to be because they have it all together as a group of people. It's going to be because the, you'll receive power from on high. The Holy Spirit will make you my witnesses. The Spirit will come and will convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit will take the things of Christ and make them known, show them to you. In the book of Acts, they are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses. The Spirit speaks through the Scriptures. The Spirit is present within His church in Acts chapter 5. The Spirit is at work in the people who hear. They hear and believe because of the working of the Spirit. The Spirit leads people to share the gospel. Philip, Ananias, Peter, Agabus, Antioch, and the gospel even into Europe, enters Europe because the Spirit directs Paul and Silas. Deacons the servants in the church, the servant leaders of the church. And we have deacons and elders in our church. Deacons in Acts chapter 6 are said to be men not skilled in serving, not good at managing and organizing, although that's going to be important. The deacons are said to be men who are full of the Spirit. Acts, by, by description, it encourages us toward what Paul says very explicitly later in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine. And he says that just for a contrast, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being controlled the way that alcohol can control you and affect your behavior and what you do, your senses and your insight and your understanding, instead be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be led and controlled and directed by. Let the outcomes that which you do be affected by the Spirit. Let your insight and understanding not be clouded, but instead be sharpened because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Those are all things that are involved in the filling of the Spirit. When you look in the book of Acts, and I'm still, I'm just giving you a big summary, and then we're going to get to three points. When you look at filling of the Spirit, the, the Spirit... Um, when, the, when the apostles in Acts chapter 2 are filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak. They, they spoke with other languages that time, and I'm not going to dive into that this morning. If you were hoping for that, sorry, we could talk later. Peter is, when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he answers the rulers and the elders. Peter and John pray, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the word of God with all boldness, Acts 4.31. They're filled with the Spirit, and they speak the word of God with boldness. See how those are connected? 
That connection seems to continue through the books. Paul is filled with the Spirit and proclaims Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Barnabas is full of the Spirit, encourages believers. So filling the Spirit is not just for witnessing. Filling the Spirit is not just for somebody like Paul who's going to stand and give, and give a particular message to a group. The filling of the Spirit is, in Barnabas, encouraging the brothers and sisters, the believers in Christ, to remain steadfast in chapter 11. The disciples, those who are following Christ, are filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're, we're told that the filling of the Spirit is connected to the empowering of the Spirit for the advance of the gospel and its fruit within the lives of believers. And that it's normal for believers, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean, to be filled with the Spirit? We're told, like I said, Ephesians 5.18. Let's turn to that, just so you see that right in front of you, instead of just hearing it from me. Turn over to, to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and verse 18. If you have your own Bible, I hope you're... you're, you're you're getting familiar with your Bible along the way and you, and you find the book of Ephesians. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you and it's not familiar to, it, to you, you'll find us on page 978. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or excess, or you will do some stupid stuff. If I could just translate that. But instead, in contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Spirit, you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You'll be singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. There will be a worshipful attitude in heart. You'll be giving thanks. There will be a thankfulness that comes out of the filling of the Spirit. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on in Ephesians 5 into that section, wives and husbands. And isn't it interesting that, that the first application out of being filled with the Spirit, in ter- first there's some description about what that then looks like in the life and toward others, but the first specific application of it is husbands to wives wives to husbands. You live out being filled, influenced, controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit rather than your own desires. You live that out in a marriage relationship. Oh my, did he pick one of the difficult, the place where you can, you can have selfishness run rampant and conflict can flourish. And how, how is that best resolved? How can marriage best be what it's supposed to be? By the filling of the Spirit. This is not just a spiritual thing that's about church. It's about how will I be as a still broken human, as a still man of flesh and bone in this broken world, how can I be that that, um, messenger, ambassador, representative of Christ, even in my own home and family? I'll not do that by my own best efforts. I will do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same way that we will take the Gospels to the ends of the earth, which is out there near the Oregon coast somewhere, the same way we'll do that is the way that we will model Christ and worship of Him in our own homes. It's by the power of the Spirit, as we are filled and yielded to Him. Instead of the, under the influence of other things of this present culture, we will be under the influence of the Spirit of the living God. How will I do that? Well, the, well, the way the, the apostles did, the way the early church did, it was connected with prayer, 
It was connected with seeking God's will in prayer. It was connected with seeking God's will and hearing from God and knowing God, have him show himself to them in his word. And then seeing God in his word, hearing God from his word, taking the first step into that. That yielding to God, that submitting to the Spirit's direction is the way to be filled and under the control of the Spirit. To seek Him, to hear from Him, and to obey Him. I am not filled, I am not influenced by, I am not under the control of the one whom I do not listen to. Or the one when I hear His voice, I decide I'm going to do my own thing. We're told to be filled by the Spirit. It's one of those essences of worship. We will worship together as a church. We will worship individually, in our families, in our workplaces, in our lives for His glory when we're filled by the Spirit. You see the Spirit's fingerprints all over the book of Acts, and might it be the same way in our church? Might it be the same way in our own lives? That the Spirit's work is obvious among us because He is, what does the Spirit do? Go back to the book of John. He will take the things of Jesus and make them known to you. Would it be that here among us, that this is a place that people see something of Jesus in us? How would that happen? That would be the filling of the Spirit. When people see something of the Lord Jesus, whom we have learned about and said, yes, I am going to follow him. What the Spirit has revealed to me about Jesus, I'm going to follow him in that. And I'm going to experience that feeling of the Spirit. It's not a magical thing. It is a seeking him in prayer, hearing him in his word, and then following him with my will. Okay, so the book of Acts is a book of transitions. The book of Acts is a book about the Spirit's working, what the, what the Spirit of the living God continues to do in his church. In fact, I would say this about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is, is about the working of the Spirit of God by the Word of God in the church of God through the people of God. It's the working of the Spirit by God's Word in Christ's church to do three things. The working of the Spirit by God's Word in Christ's church to declare an alternative reality, to create an alternative community, to pursue an alternative ambition, and those are catchy phrases that mean nothing to you. I hope to explain that this morning. Let me start, let me start with... Um, Three, what I'm going to call stabilizing factors in our world. Things that most cultures, things that most, most centers of power try to impose or enforce or sustain. You first see this in the Bible, or one of the places you see this in the Bible, these were all true in Egypt, okay? And then Moses comes sent from God and Moses creates a radical revolution of something new and different. And there's this thing in Israel that is new and different. Solomon seems to be the first. The son of David seems to reinstate these three things in Israel. And it looks good. It looks like the nation is better than it's ever been. And yet it's the start of the great decline. Let me describe what I mean. Okay, economic affluence, social conformity, and useful religion. By economic affluence, our world will provide this for us. We can be filled. We can be satisfied with what is. We can be satisfied. Life will be good enough by enjoying the best of what we have here and now. 
we can be filled, we can be warmed, we can fix this, we can make things right, we can stop evil, we can create good. Doesn't our society work hard at that? And you say, well, all of those are good things. Meeting needs. Hindering evil. Trying to promote good for everybody, that everybody will have a share in things that are good. But we cannot provide that. that there's, a, there's an expectancy of need felt, filled here that numbs us to anything beyond this. That this is good, so this is enough. And what is defined collectively as good is enough. And if it's enough to satiate us, to fill our appetite, it's kind of like, well, Easter was recent. There were perhaps a little dish of chocolate somewhere in your house. And sometimes maybe you would, you would be hungry before mealtime, before dinner. And uh, the kids aren't supposed to do this, but... Ah, uh, you're an adult. You can take care of yourself. You could dip into those chocolates. Did any of you do that just before dinner? Yeah, you did. What does that do to your appetite? It does just what Mama said it would do to your appetite. Don't eat that candy before dinner. It'll spoil your appetite. Spoil your appetite for something that is actually far better and something that is far better for you. What this world tries to do through our economic affluence is to fill us with something and that numbs us from an appetite for something that would be far better. This world's a mess. It is broken. We are broken in it. We are supposed to be longing and yearning for something better. And yet we're easily satisfied by what is. Let me move on. I'm going to run out of time. Societal conformity. Do this. Don't do that. Think like this. There's one overarching intolerant narrative. Oh, don't be mistaken. Our, Our society says they value tolerance. No, no, no. Our society, like most societies in the world, value intolerance. They value conformity to a set narrative. Don't deviate from the accepted norm. And even in our society, whether, it's a, whether it's, a, it's, a, it's a shift from that accepted norm that is, you think is good or not good, either way, it is quickly quashed. And more and more, the more controlling a, a culture or society gets, the more they are intolerant of any other storyline, any other narrative like Route 66 that might contrast or collide with the overarching story, the overarching narrative of the society as a whole. We don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to turn things upside down. We want to keep things on an even smooth keel just as they are now. This is good. This is normal. We don't want something different than this. A societal conformity, and first of all, and thirdly, a useful religion. Solomon built a temple. Well, Solomon built his house, and Solomon built a temple. And Solomon became, over time, the patron of the temple. The, the God of Israel was not so much in Israel's ongoing history from Solomon forward. The God of Israel was not so much the one who critiqued the king. You might critique others, but the God of Israel did not critique the king. or was, It was not encouraged. It was not allowed. And the prophets that did so ran into trouble. 
Isaiah was cut into pieces. Amos comes along, and he's got a word from the Lord, and they said, no, 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 you take your stuff out of here. The king doesn't want to hear it. The king became the patron of God and of God's temple. If the king's providing the temple, if the king's providing the goods for the temple, the temple and its God become dependent on the king. The structures of society easily become the the patrons and the providers for a useful religion, a practical religion. We'll have a religion, we'll have a belief in God that supports the, those other two, that balances those other two, that keeps people happy. We want, let me put it this way, we, we, our, our society, our world wants a religion, whether it's in this society or whether it's in an Islamic society, they want a religion that functions as a chaplaincy to the rest of the power structure of the culture. Does that make sense? I don't want a religion so much that critiques my own life as I want a faith that makes me more comfortable in life. I want a God who's near and who's my friend and who gives me practical help day to day more than I want a transcendent God who is over all and who will call me to account and would also call me to stop playing in the mud puddle, as, as, as C.S. Lewis said, when we have the opportunity to go for a vacation out at the ocean. Why am I busying myself in this little mud puddle when I could be out there at the ocean playing in that huge body of water? Okay, so those three, economic affluence, societal conformity, use for religion, I set those up. Those are the stabilizing factors of our culture that the book of Acts turns upside down. So the book of Acts is a revolutionary book because the gospel is a revolutionary gospel. The gospel should change lives. The gospel should change our perspective. The gospel should point us to declaring an alternative reality. We see that especially in Acts chapter 4, verses, verses 19 and following. So turn back to the book of Acts. We're going to jump in three places in the book of Acts and just catch glimpses of these three things. I want to put these in your mind. I wrote them down for you in your notes so you can then go back and read Acts. Look for them further. And I think you'll find these three showing up over and over again. First of all, declare an alternative reality to the religious, political, economic order of the day. There is an order, but the order of the book of Acts calls us to something different. The, there's an alternative reality, a different reality. And this goes back to I can only imagine. Because to imagine is not to make this up out of thin air. I'm calling us to imagine how things are supposed to be according to what God has said. But it's outside the framework of what you know and experience to be real day by day have you ever heard somebody say in the midst of a situation it's normally not really good but i guess we'll make it work and so they shrug their shoulders and they say it is what it is yeah heard that before that's just the way things are God calls us to imagine an alternative reality, a reality that he has disclosed to us that says, no, things actually are different. This is the facade. The reality looks much different than this. Look at Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Peter and John, well, first of all, verse 18, they called Peter and John back, the, the powers of the day, the Sanhedrin, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. What do you think? Is it right to listen to you or to listen to God? For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Well, they threatened them further and they let them go because they had no way to punish them because the people all were praising God for what had happened. The man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. That's the guy who was crippled from birth and he was healed. And so then when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything. Oh boy, that's way above the Sanhedrin's pay grade. That's way above King Herod's pay grade. That's way above our president or Congress's pay grade. That's way above the Roman emperor's pay grade. Sovereign, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, creation's important, and who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And yet the God of heaven laughs. The God of heaven says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. This is Psalm 2. He's reminding them of an alternative reality. There is a reality that is beyond what we see and experience. And our choice is this. Our choice is, am I going to march to the music of this moment? Or am I going to follow the beat of a different drummer? Am I going to walk by the leading of the Holy Spirit who is calling me to an alternative reality that is beyond this one, which is greater than this one, has a high authority than this one, and I can boldly say we must obey God rather than man. There are all kinds of time when you and I are going to be confronted with this. Let me just give you one example of it. In Acts chapter 7, verse 50, they stone Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr in the church record. They stoned Stephen because of his testimony for Christ. But it doesn't say in chapter 7, verse 50, that Stephen dies. It says that Stephen falls asleep. There's a new reality. His death is not death. You and I, our death is not death. Peter and Paul are both in prison. They're both set free. Those bars cannot hold them because there's a greater, there's an alternative reality. What are the assumptions that constrain us? What are the assumptions within us that whisper it is what it is that compel us to do what we do? The book of Acts reminds us it isn't what is. It is what will be. There's an alternate reality. And that's where we need to live. That's what we need to have ever before us. And while that alternative reality is before us, that makes everything in the present look different. John Piper came up with a retirement plan. You know John Piper, a well-known pastor in Minneapolis. He's a very um, good biblical guy, and he's also a very enthusiastic, very passionate preacher. And John Piper came up with a retirement plan several years ago. So so those of you that are at retirement age, maybe just getting there, maybe already there, and you're wondering, what are you going to do the rest of your life? John's got a plan for you. God loves you. John Piper has a plan for the rest of your life, and it goes like this. Go to a Muslim country. 
Give yourself, for a while, encouraging the small minority church that you might find there, house churches or whatever, where you find believers, where you make relationships, where you make friends along the way. Sooner or later, you're going to be find out. And as you, as you get on the list, as you are noticed, as you're, as you're found out, John says, you might be in Saudi Arabia, John says, speak boldly. Go out on the street corner then and start speaking the name of Jesus. Start telling boldly who Jesus really is. What are they going to do? They just might kill you. Oh, retirement over. Glorious entrance into the presence of God. No more of this growing old and wondering when is this or that condition going to catch up with me. You find out you've got a terminal disease? Move to Saudi Arabia. I don't know if the health gear is any better then, but the retirement system is out of this world. That's John. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to clean out the church. I'm, don't get me wrong. That was John Piper. That wasn't Bob. But it's just what it does put vision to is an alternative reality. We must not be constrained by the norms as the rest of the world dictates them to us. It's more than this. Declare an alternative reality, create an alternative community. The church is to be different. God is making something new called the church through the book of Acts. And this church thing is new. It includes everyone, even Gentiles, even the nations. And the church has to wrestle with that. You know, any local church needs to, be, needs to include the people that they're not, they're, they're not quite like us. I don't know. Man, you know they voted for the other party. Oh my goodness, you know, they, 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 they wear clothes I wouldn't wear and they do things, I, they say things I wouldn't say, but they believe in my Jesus. Let's start there. Let's create a center of community that is focused on the risen Savior and let Him then and His likeness be not our own subcultures, but let the likeness of Christ as that grows and, and flourishes within this community, let that be what unites us together. Create an alternative community that is inclusive even of the nations. A new work among us. You know, that res- the Acts chapter 15 resol- re- resolved that unique newness of a church of all nations. It talks in the book of Acts about the church is growing. The word continues to increase. Those two go together, by the way. The church grew as the word of God increased. You do not find the church growing in the book of Acts aside from the gospel being proclaimed and the word of God increasing and prospering. As the word increases through those who tell it, then the church is also growing. We're going to spend four, five weeks in May going through foundations of the church. It's the, it's the framework of what is BP Church about. We'll use this in the future for the, for the Brush Prairie Church newcomers class. But guess what? You're the first students. For the next five weeks, you're, five weeks, you're all going to be in newcomers class. And there is going to be discussion. There's a booklet. Everybody gets one. There's going to be discussion questions in there that we would love for you to be able to talk through with other people. At the end of it, there's also a spiritual gifts inventory. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts as well. We're going to use 1 Corinthians. Oh, there's an interesting church, right? We're going to use 1 Corinthians as a place that we discuss the essentials of the church from. So that might just whet your appetite. But encourage you then to have some folks that you can... I know ladies' Bible studies, and I know the men's groups and some others, they're going to be going through this. But uh, I would encourage you to use that 
opportunity that Ryan talked about earlier to press into that so we can be more of what a church is supposed to be and not merely a cultural habit that ends up resembling too much the stabilizing factor of a useful religion. Finally, the working of the Spirit by God's Word in Christ's church to pursue an alternative ambition, a different goal. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to read two sections. The overall passage is Acts 20 from verses 18 to 35. This is Paul's farewell to the leaders of a particular church, a church in Ephesus. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. He expects to be arrested there. He's going to end up going to Rome ultimately. And uh, he eventually, he'll, be, he'll be in prison for a while there. At the, and, that, and that's where the book of Acts closes. But as he says a farewell, these are his parting words to the leaders, the elders of this church at Ephesus. I'm going to start in uh, verse 22. And then we're going to skip a little bit over and we'll pick up again in verse 32. So verses 22 to 24. And now behold, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The Spirit is leading. I'm constrained by the Spirit. In fact, I'm constrained by the Spirit that I'm going to be constrained when I get to Jerusalem. And none of that moves me. None of that causes me to pause. None of that cost that's coming causes me to hesitate because this is where the Spirit is leading. And my ambition more than anything else is not success in this life, is not my achievement, is not the, the uh, acquiring of more possessions. As Jesus said, a man's life is not determined by the possessions that he collects. But my ambition is to finish my course with joy. And that's what the Lord Jesus has laid out ahead of me, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My ambition is to tell God's grace to somebody else. He has a new ambition. Also from verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, clothing. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity. I worked with my own hands and, to, and for those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that is the opposite of the way of our world. A new ambition, a new goal. There was a song that I learned years ago when we were in Africa, this was just among the church that we ministered with in Africa. I can't remember where it came up, but it went something like this. I sing a new song since Jesus came. I serve a new master. I wear a new name. I, I walk a new road. I have a new goal. I know a new peace down deep in my soul. A lot of us want to jump there to the end. We want to jump to the end where I could have that new peace down deep in my soul. But the song doesn't start there. The song ends there. We end there when we start. I sing a new song since Jesus came. I serve a new master. I wear a new name. I have a new identity, an alternative identity that God has given me. It speaks here. I commit you to God 
And so the word of his grace, which is able to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. I don't know what family you come from, but the family may not seem to have much. But you are in, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the King. You are an heir of glory. You are an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You are in the household of God. You are in God's family. You have an inheritance. And it is far more. It is far greater than anything this world can offer. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. Amen? The book of Acts is about the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, in the church of God, declaring an alternative reality that is ours, to create an alternative community, to pursue an alternative ambition to commit ourselves to God and to the word of his grace for his glory. My ambition may have been at one time that I was going to be the best at my work in my workplace. Perhaps a better ambition than that would be that I will be the best witness, I will be the best presence of God by his spirit that I can be within that place that he has me to work. I'm a tourist. I love to travel. My ambition is to go places and to see new things that I have not yet seen. A better ambition it is to travel or to stay right here at the ends of the earth and be used and stretched. We're going to Mexico. We're going to introduce the team to you next Sunday morning. I have the team all here before. You'll hear some of their stories. And, and we're, we're going to Mexico to be a help there, to be used by God there. We're not going to see tourist spots. I don't know if we're doing any tourist things at all while we're there. We're going to help. We're going to be used. That is our ambition. And we're going to be stretched. We expect that. We're going to be pushed out of our comfort zone. That is our ambition. To be used by God, to be stretched by God, something more into the image of his son for his glory. I hope that as you read the book of Acts, as you spend time in his word and are filled by his spirit, that you will press toward that, that greater reality that you also will press toward a greater ambition of how God would use you here at the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for this new thing that you have done, this wonderful thing you've created called church and an alternative community, a new community, a new family that you have called out of the earth even while we are still here. Oh, Lord, use us here. Would you use us here for your glory? Would you use us, Lord? May our new ambition be to call others into that greater reality, to help others to see something beyond what is right in front of us, to help others see, most of all, the wonder and the grace of Jesus, our Savior. Father, we would give ourselves to that. Lord, as we receive this morning's offering, let that be because we would give ourselves, we would give what we have, we would desire that our, our hearts would be in heaven so we would you, devote our treasure to that end. Father, use us right here, right now, in this city, in this place that you have put us in.
And we ask that in Jesus' name. And all who believe said, amen.